One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that delves into our guests' life stories using the songs that have become entwined with their memories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Mike Kennedy. Mike has worked in the fields of marketing and public relations for more than 35 years. Originally from Utica, New York, he relocated to Naples with his wife and three children in 1985. He's been an instructor at Florida Gulf Coast University since 2010, teaching all of the eight public relations courses and the Foundations of Civic Engagement course for FGCU's College of Arts and Sciences. He also teaches marketing courses for the Lutgert College of Business. Mike is a former member of the Executive Board of Directors at the Bonita Springs Area Chamber of Commerce and the Chamber's Economic Development Committee. He also served on the Board of Directors of both the Quest Educational Foundation in Naples and the Bonita Springs Assistance Office and is former trustee of the Crew Land and Water Trust. Mike got his bachelor's degree in public relations and journalism from Utica College, and he has an MBA from FGCU, and he plays bass, guitar, and sings with the Immokalee Road Band in Naples. We came across Mike a few years ago on a bus trip to somewhere near Lakeland, but now we get to hear his song stories. Hey there, Mike. How you doing? Pretty good, Mike. How are you? I'm doing really well. I look forward to talking to you longer than it took for us to talk while we were eating lunch at Denny's somewhere <laughs> near Lakeland a few years ago. <laughs> exactly. A couple of can't, can't believe the time has gone by that fast. That was the uh, Canna bus. Yes. I forgot we yes. went to Denny's. We, yeah, yes. we went to Denny's. We did. Or, or one of those restaurants that's just like Denny's. Yep. <laughs> Do we need to explain what the cannabis was? Trying to get you, yeah, I'm trying to get <laughs> you to tell that story. <laughs> no, we'll tell the story. Well, we went with, yeah, Sam Walsh and uh, Dr. Uh, Rosenthal right. running the course on, uh, on cannabis. And uh, we took a, a bus tour to see a growing facility uh, just outside of Lakeland, very secretive uh, where the facility was and all that stuff, but it was kind of, uh, and it was nicknamed the Cannabus. Yeah, and it was, there, so. uh, it was a, yeah. a really, uh, it was a cool day. And I just want to highlight for people who aren't from Southwest Florida that listen to this, FGCU has a very forward-leaning program around cannabis in a way that's like uh, leading in a lot of ways. So it's pretty cool that we are at a university that can be that flexible. Yeah. A great, great uh, business opportunity for folks out there. Yes, exactly. So enough about cannabis. <laughs> um, so um, what was the musical background of your childhood and where was that? Uh, well, my childhood was spent in uh, central New York, a city called Utica, uh, which is physically the center of New York State, the diamond in the navel of New York State, it's been said before. So uh, about five hours north of the city three hours east of Buffalo, a um, couple hours west of Albany. So uh, Utica, uh, probably the f- fifth, sixth largest city. But it was a interesting childhood. I uh, grew up uh, an only child. Uh, my parents ran a neighborhood tavern called Walt's Grill. And uh, it was kind of a traditional blue-collar Irish bar uh, type of thing. My dad was a uh, uh, retired firefighter. He was a lieutenant in the Utica Fire Department and um, retired five days before I was born in 1955. Prior to that, he was both running the bar uh, since 1948 and 
working as a firefighter mm. and um, worked the business and uh, we lived upstairs. So, uh, so you lived above a, a bar. Lived above a bar, yeah. So uh, my first job was when as soon as I was 16, I worked as a server for him. And then as a bar, when I turned 18, the drinking age was 18 in New York back in those days. And uh, so I worked as a bartender for my first first job for uh, for his bar there. So... Um, so my parents were older. Uh, it's not so unusual now, this day and age, to have a dad 46 and a mom 40 when you're born. But back in 1955, yeah. that was, uh, was a little bit different. So um, so consequently, and not having any older siblings and uh, that, I, I didn't have a lot of exposure to... Um, music at a very young age uh, that other than what my parents were playing, which was, you know, Sinatra and Al Martino and uh, Dean Martin and some of those kind of things. So, but music was always um, part of the the household. You know, my mother was very artistic, not a musician, but, um, but it was always a part of, there was always the uh, beige colored record player in the middle of the room (laughs) that was always there. And uh, I remember from an early stage, you know, then Either what would be cool is the uh, they had a jukebox downstairs, and uh, when the guy would come in to change the music on the jukebox, he'd give my dad all the old forty fives. Jukebox in the bar. Jukebox in the yeah, bar. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, do we need to explain what a forty five is for the no, audience? I think our people know, listening our audience knows that. On so. the top end of that range. <laughs> no, no, records are cool again. <laughs> records yeah. are cool. Yes, exactly. Vinyl. So. When did you find music of your own then? So, uh, and my own was really uh, kind of coming in like most of the folks my age. Just turned sixty six last Saturday, and um, the it was. The Beatles. I mean, it was the the British invasion that kind of came about. You know, I had some familiarity, you know, with Elvis. uh, But by the time I was of listening age and that Elvis had was not the rebel rocker that he was, he was probably in the army by then and coming back to the the next phase of his. Yeah. Elvis uh, part two. Elvis part two. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so all the stuff from the, the you know, Chuck Berry from the 50s, all that escaped me, really. And it wasn't until, you know, I heard I Want to Hold Your Hand that uh, that music really changed my life. And, it re- and I realized it was something. Oh, my gosh. It was just like so many millions and millions of was us. Was that actually that the generation. first song that you heard? Or uh, I think you might actually yeah. remember what the first song first you heard song was. First song I heard was actually the first, which would be kind of called rock and roll, was a song by artist named Sheb Woolley. And the song was, in fact, I thought about making this one of the songs, but I didn't. But it's the Purple People Eater. Oh, right. Yeah, and that is one of those early that is kind 50, of songs. So that's the only 50s song that I remember having. I still have my Purple People Eater button. We had, we had, someone, we had someone who had that as their yeah. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Who oh. was that? Was that um, Glenn Miller? Maybe. Anyway, yeah. Um, but who, do you remember the first Beatles song you heard? First Beatles song would have been... Uh, Ed Sullivan doing I Want to Hold Your okay. Hand. That was so either you, that or, or She Loves You. So yeah, did yeah, you yeah. see that? Did those photons hit your eyeballs? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of coming in. We came into school the next day, and it was just, yeah, it was, It uh, everybody was, was talking about it. Um, 
If you've ever seen the stage show Beatlemania, they do a great job in the opening segment before the band's even on stage. They do like a montage slideshow of everything from post-World War II, what was happening in the country, all of those things. And they end, before the band comes on, they end, the screen goes black, and they say, ladies and gentlemen, the president has just been shot. Mm. President Kennedy has died. And the screen goes black, the this, this theater goes black. And then you hear the opening chords, the da na 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 And that's very much my recollection of that, that the country from, from November of 63 was in a funk. And I mean, having the last name of Kennedy, too. I mean, my father was, um, you know, he had threatened if, Lee, if uh, Jack Ruby hadn't killed Oswald, he would have might have flown out and done it. I mean, that's how much he was, in, uh, you know, enamored by President Kennedy and what was there. And uh, I'm sure he was kidding. I don't want to, but uh, but it was it was a it was a dark time. And as young people, you know, we were, you know, I was uh, eight years old or so, and there was a sadness. Uh, it was um, and the Beatles kind of took us out of that. And uh, so that was a big, yeah, that was a big part of it. And just a huge Beatles fan from that point on. What was the first music you owned? First music I owned was, uh, other than stuff I inherited from the bar, uh, my dad did. And I mean, God bless him. It's, so I was 47, 46, 47, 45, 54 years old. He went out and bought me Meet the Beatles, which was the first Beatle album. So that was one, and I still have it at home, too, by the way. So that was uh, the first one that he bought that uh, for me. The only, I think the only album he bought for me, actually, for the rest of our time. But uh, that was uh, that was progressive, I thought, for my dad. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. older guy during yeah, those yeah. times, you know. Yeah. Um, before we get to your first song, um, Rolling Stones, you cool with that? Stones, yeah, I was a Stones, <laughs> huge Stones fan. Okay, so uh, you're both. Probably Sometimes the, there's a demarcation. Yeah, no, no, I was kind of both with that. Uh, really, and I and I'm and I'm my my friends up north will hear this and be surprised that there's not a Who song in my group. Um, the Who, I've seen six times. Huge fan of Pete Townsend, Daltrey, and I mean just. Uh, they were very impactful in my life in that. And so probably as the British invasion went, um, and I've obviously been along, uh, been around longer than the Beatles were able to stay. I actually saw the, the Who's farewell tour in 1982, and the farewell didn't quite take. They're still, uh, Daltrey and Townsend still touring today as the Who. So, uh, so yeah, the whole British invasion, the Kinks, uh, you know, the Stones, um, I was a Monkees fan, you know, in 66, really. I was a Monkees kind of, fan in 86. 86, yeah, well, they brought them back, yeah, and they came in there. So I was, uh, yeah, um, in fact, the Monkees kind of represented, by by 66, the Beatles were heading to a whole different direction. And the Monkees, for us 10, 11-year-olds back then, represented kind of a return to the early like, Beatles. Like instant nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. that's the way to look at it, that it was... Um, uh, you know, it was more fun. The Beatles were getting into, you know, by 66, they were Revolver and Rubber Soul and getting into much more deeper Dylan-esque lyrics and things like that. And the Monkees were still all about having having a good time. And huh. uh, and uh, that's why I became, uh, yeah, a huge fan of the Monkees, too. 
All right, well, it's time for your first song. Okay. Um, well, as I said, as being a Beatles fan, and as the, as the criteria goes for the show, we don't necessarily pick our favorite songs or, that uh, we have or something that, uh, as I said, not the, something we dance to at our wedding. Uh, but this one, um, as I said, coming through the early, the, the first Beatles album and that, uh, the songs were all, you know, great. But I don't remember enjoying a song musically as much as I did this one uh, when it came out in 1965. Um, being a huge fan, when, when the movie hit Hard Day's Night in 64, uh, that, was, that was great to see that. But as I often say, in the 60s, we literally and figuratively went from black and white to color. And so did the Beatles. The first film was a black and white. And even then, it was kind of, you know, films were, were more films were being made in color back then. And so when Help hit, uh, the movie Help in 1965, and it was in color, it was like a huge rush for all of us, us Beatle fans that were out there. But everything changed. I mean, TV shows, they used to have to say sometimes, in living color, like it was a big deal, you know, in there. But uh, but films, TV, and and really the Beatles took us from that black and white of the 50s. I mean, arguably the early 60s were still the 1950s, even chronologically we're not. But, I mean, the, the way the, the world and the way the country was. Uh, so when Help hit, it was huge, and I just remember loving the film and petitioning, uh, you know, that I wanted the Help album for Christmas, and my Aunt Carlin uh, got me the album there, and uh, in the film, uh, the song that I picked uh, was, uh, they used it, and it was kind of like Help, and as Hard Day's Night, where it was kind of the forerunners of music videos. I mean, before there was MTV... The Beatles were making music videos and help was while some of the songs were actually filming of them recording the songs or with instruments and that the others were just them goofing around with the music in the background. And this particular song uh, took place in the the, they were skiing in the Swiss Alps, I believe, is where it was in that. And they uh, the the techniques, the song itself, the opening arpeggio, as we call it, the opening chord sequence that was kind of played there, then the bass and drums coming in, really moved it from just a song to something that I really recognized as, as a young kid, though, as something really musically enjoyable. And the fact that harmonies were there, but not on every verse, they were there and partially throughout the, the, um, uh, the stanzas and the chorus, they didn't use it all the time. It was kind of a, a little technique that you didn't see. Usually if they were doing harmony, they would do it through the whole song or something. So it was uh, that that was impactful. And then, as I said, connecting it to the film. They're, they're, in the, they're in the mountains. They're skiing. They're playing in the snow. They made snow look very like a lot of fun. I lived in the snow belt of New York State. I can tell you snow was not that much fun <laughs> once you got wet and cold and frozen, but they made it look very cool. And even the director, Richard Lester, who was uh, marvelous with that. One scene, they actually had the uh, the lyrics of the song, I think, I'm going to be sad. The notes were actually played on telephone wire or something that appeared while they were skiing down the hill. And, I mean, that's that. That's art, in my humble opinion. Yeah, so, that, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I, I, this was one that, uh, as I said, I really loved. I still love hearing it today. Uh, the very ending, I'm not crazy about, but the opening words, uh, the, and again, it's not really a lyrical song. They say 
Well, the lyrics supposedly may be about hookers. I don't know. They said <laughs> that that was the current. Weather. But uh, the song is uh, Ticket to Ride. Well, let's listen to it. Do you guys play it? Uh, does the Mockley Road band uh, you play know, it? No, we don't. That's a great question. Uh, Miles and I, Miles Mancini, uh, who if you haven't had yet, I'm going to throw him out as my uh, choice to. to bring Miles in next or at some point. Uh, as being much younger than myself is still a huge, has a huge musical roots and is a huge Beatles fan. And when we first got together as the Immokalee Road Band, um, the fir- our first gig was strictly a Beatles gig. We played for the church where Miles is a musical director, and they had a fundraiser that was set up as a cruise, a fake cruise, obviously, within the church. And uh, they were cruising to London, I guess. And uh, the whole idea was the band would play Beatles stuff. So we did chronologically from the mop tops to the psychedelic to the long haired stuff and learned a bunch of these songs along with another FGCU colleague, Dr. Eric Otto. And uh, for Miles had a huge Beatles knowledge considering how much younger he was than me. And so we kind of hit it off, did a lot of harmonies, did the shows there. This show really went well. Eric, fantastic blues and jazz guitarist, but was, by all accounts, a Beatles virgin. He had Hmm. never listened to the Beatles too much and even owned a sitar, which we thought was wild that he would have a sitar like George Harrison. But didn't, what did not, yeah, yeah. So he owned a sitar. He owned a sitar. And didn't know and the didn't Beatles. didn't know George Harrison <laughs> That's too good. But he is fantastic. So in our set, we do, we opened, in fact, when we, we played a gig on November right after the election, and so we opened with we thought was appropriate come together. Um, we do, Miles and I do switch out harmonies on uh, um, Norwegian Wood and um, In My Life, and um, we can work it out. And then we close with one of our closers is, is While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which Eric just shreds on, and uh, and you can find all these on the Amokley Road Facebook page, <laughs> the uh, the Amokley Road band. Well, Facebook. you know, nowadays they have these deep fake things. Yeah. Well, let's just have somebody take y'all's faces and put them on the Beatles <laughs> in the Ticket to Ride video. Let's imagine that while we're listening. And put us to in it. there, okay? Uh, I love that. Ticket to Ride, uh, the Beatles from their 1965 album, and I'm going to say it this way because there's an exclamation mark. Help! Oh. Baby don't care. Okay, which Beatle are you? <laughs> Not necessarily in your band, you know, but what in, in your heart of hearts? Ah, that is a great question, Tara. That is, I'm, I'm, um, wow. I guess I'd be a little bit of all four if that's not a cop-out answer. Mm. I, I that is the cop-out answer. It is the cop-out answer cop of all, of all. I mean, Richard, you could have said, I'm these three, I'm, and it okay. would be less cop-out. Right. Well, from the band <laughs> standpoint, I'm the shortest one in the band, so I'm kind of Ringo. Uh, I play bass like Paul in the band. In fact, I just bought myself over summer. My, my COVID present to me was a Hofner bass. I bought Ooh, nice. the violin-style bass that I played last time we were, were out there. Um John was always my favorite Beatle as far as um, the kind of stuff, the songs he was doing and those kind of things. And from an artist standpoint, was always my favorite. But Paul was the nice guy. And I consider myself, I can't be, I'm not quite as 
sardonic, sarcastic, whatever the word may do. Paul, John had a real mean streak to him. And for, for you know, right there's all on. sorts yeah, yeah. of justification for that because of his childhood and all that stuff. But uh, so I guess I'll leave George out of it. Okay. And uh, let's take the height <laughs> part of it out. And uh, I would have to say John without the, without the nastiness. And yeah. uh, there was even... There was even a, uh, back in the 70s, um, the SNL crew and Lauren Michaels actually produced it. And, and it was kind of a, co- a collaboration between SNL and Monty Python. And they did something called the Ruddles. If you guys uh, are yeah, familiar, remember, remember yeah. the Ruddles. Okay. And uh, the, the character was called Ron Nasty instead of John Lennon that was right. there. So he was, so he had kind of that in. So, um, because a lot of the song, even when they, when they did make the, do the breakup, um, I just didn't like, other than maybe I'm amazed that first album and that, but the stuff that McCartney was coming out with was just a little too sweet and sugary for me, you know, from that stuff. And I think he did. I think together they balanced things so well. So what you did was you boiled it down to those two. Those two. Okay. <laughs> that, you're not letting me off the hook here. I, I, so I, I think said, you're leaning when towards I said, Paul. I said, um, well, no, no. Okay. He's not. Paul's too nice. Paul's too nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking Paul with the songs that Paul does. God, Mike's saying he's a little from, dark. I like it. From this, so so I, I have to think, yeah, the, the Lennon stuff. And I did, as, a, as I said, the early days when you compare Imagine this, which is 50 years old this year, and Ram, which is Paul McCartney's second solo album, which is also 50 years old. When you compare those two, I listened to Ram in the car a while back to kind of see if it was, uh, you know, if the test of time kind of took the uh, the sweetness away. But it's still a little pretty sweet. There's a great song called "Backseat of My Car" that he ends with on there. But uh, still, the Lennon stuff I still think still resonates today. And if I had to list my favorite. Beatles songs mm-hmm. by all means that would the Lennon songs would be all at the top there. So you play guitar, you play bass. Play guitar when did and you bass. first when did that first start in your life? Um that's another great question. I, I uh, was intrigued by the guitar when seeing the Beatles play and uh, my parents actually signed me up for lessons so I was like 9 years old. Uh, but it didn't take. I went to two lessons. Um, you know, the guitar was a this acoustic that wasn't like these those flat shiny black or gold colored guitars the Beatles were playing right. that wasn't what I was into and row 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 your boat was not what I was into either so it didn't really take uh, but I kept my guitar book and um, when I saw the movie Woodstock in because uh, I, was, I was we had a, an organ in the house too my mother had got a little organ and I was playing around I thought I was going to be an organ player because back in the late 60s, uh, you know, Inagata De Vita was big and most bands had an organ, you know, the, um, you know, the uh, organ sound to them. And uh, when I saw Pete Townsend uh, play Summertime Blues in the movie Woodstock, I didn't get to Woodstock. I was a little young for that. Uh, parents weren't really big on me traveling five hours down to the city to go outside. So I couldn't make it to Woodstock at 15. But I did see Townsend play Summertime Blues on the, the big screen in, in 1970. So you got to see the Woodstock movie in the theater? In the theater, yeah. Awesome. So when I saw Townsend playing that Gibson SG guitar, I said, oh my, I want to be a guitar player. And uh, But I'd always had an interest in, in bass as well. Um, some of it was, you know, McCartney's influence uh, that was there as well. But uh, so I expressed this. I had a cousin who played guitar. I had a cousin on my father's side who was a guitar player and a singer. 
and he would cruise the, uh, uh, the the swap shops in town on the weekends when he was a firefighter also. So was my grandfather and my uncle. I was the only, I'm the black sheep of the family. I didn't become a firefighter like the rest of them. But uh, he uh, picked up a guitar for me and a bass, electric guitar and a bass. And my other cousin, Joan, who's still with us today, I'm going to probably seeing her in the next few weeks, uh, quite a bit older, but because I was had so late in life, all my first cousins were, you know, the, Joni was my youngest first cousin, and she was 15 years old. Right, right. So, uh, but she gave me her old acoustic, and it was an old Stella. So suddenly you just guitar. fell into guitars. Yeah, yeah. So I had them there. So the the acoustic was that we had a camp about 45 minutes from where we lived, and so the acoustic was sitting up there. And the bass was home, the bass. Um, and so when I was home, I would tool around with the bass and kind of taught myself some things there. And then when I was at camp, again, being an only child, I practiced the guitar up at camp on the weekends and practiced the bass at home and kind of taught simultaneously both of them and found myself after about six months of playing guitar in a band. Uh, it was the summer before our, my senior year in high school. What was it called? It was called Clinic. Clinic. Actually, Clinic. And it's not bad. As we're going, yeah, it was not a bad. No, we, we, uh, the drummer uh, in that band and I went to high school together, and uh, Jim uh, could have been, a, he was a fantastic drummer. Now, unlike me, I was playing guitar about six months. Jim had played guitar since he was eight, or played drums, rather, since he was eight. And... Um, uh, he probably so he hated was, your he lack of He probably hated my lack of tempo. He <laughs> still does, actually, because the rest of that story is Jim is our drummer in the Immokalee Road band. So he still hates Jim oh, still hates my dad. <laughs> yes, he, he did not escape the lack the, of rhythm. The, the metronome, yeah. Now, he did, he did compliment. He used to say I was the best rhythm guitarist. So back then, I was playing rhythm guitar. Okay. And he did say I was the best rhythm guitarist. But he, uh, but I was, you know, I only knew about a handful of chords back then, um, but... We hit it off and uh, stayed friends all these years, going on 50 years. We, um, again, called ourselves a Mockley Road band because I live in Palm River off of Mockley Road, and both Miles and Eric live off of Mockley Road. As luck would have it, Jim bought property off a Mockley Road. Wow, you guys are hyper-local. And we are local, yeah. So Jim gets down here. He was getting down here about every six months before the the, uh, crisis, but he... uh, he said he could have been a musician. He chose to be a physician instead. He's one of the leading gastroenterologists in the uh, Western New York area, and so he has been our drummer uh, for the past three years now. And uh, when he comes down, we either do a rehearsal or do a gig. And uh, but still, yeah, you're right, Tara. Still complaining about my my <laughs> tempo and uh, my areas there. So, so, um, so when you were in high school, heading toward you know college years, what did you want to do? What was your hope and goal for ah, life at that point? Good question. Uh, when I was in high school, um, I was one of those guys that really peaked in about eighth grade, I think. I was, I kind of got in, uh, I went to... Uh, peaked was, for peaked, your school for years. School, for school years, yes. Not yes. for we'll, your we'll, years. We'll, we'll continue the stories, yeah. And then I got to need some more explanation. But I ended eighth grade uh, winning, like, I won the faculty award. I won the art award. I was, I wanted to be, an. I always wanted to be an artist. I was always, uh, you know, interested in art. Uh my father's brother was a painter, and uh, he was kind of a ne'er-do-well type older brother, but, uh, you know, would show up at the Christmas parties in, like, the tuxedo, whereas my 
dad was a very gruff former Navy man, World War II, and, and uh, as Eddie was too, Eddie. Uh, but, uh, but so my mother always corrected me. When I told people I wanted to be an artist, she would always say, no, you've got to tell them you want to be a commercial artist. <laughs> We'd be called graphic artists sure, these days. Right, but right. Uh, back then it was never, never tell uh, anybody. paying gig paying artist. paying gig artist, yeah. And, um, and so they wanted to make sure, yeah, that I wasn't uh, this, you know, an artistic type. And so finishing that um, eighth grade, <laughs> I went to an all-boy Catholic high school where they pretty much beat the artistic stuff out of us back then. I mean, they did. It was a great education. I learned how to learn. But from a music art standpoint, a lot of the things I was interested in, you know, I was acting in eighth grade. I was doing all we did. a. This is going to take everybody way back. We didn't actually take off on Rowan and Martin's laugh in back in eighth grade. And I was I actually played the Artie Johnson character. You guys probably don't know who Artie Johnson was. I know Laughing, but I don't little know. A little bit of Laughing, yeah. He was a German guy. Very interesting. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. So that was So um so yeah, so I was thespian. I was uh not really into music too much into listening to music, but not playing it, but uh but very artistic. So I wound up at Notre Dame. Again, made some long-lasting friends that I still have today, so I'm not complaining about that. It was uh, it was a great education, but uh, while I was in school, I decided well, advertising, design, and production is where I want to go. So that was kind of my right out of school. I went to the local community college for advertising, design, and production. Was, was that the road that you found commercial artist? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of the road yeah. where I kind of went there. But what I found, Mike, was the problem was all of a sudden I was in this, even though a community college setting, uh, I was in with, with all these people that had had four solid years of high school right. graphic design and that I had none of that, you know. Uh, and I could have, again, taken courses on the side and done that, but this, the, it was all college You were prep. just uphill all the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. So I got there and I was really, you know, the stuff that I felt I did well, you know, caricatures, and I didn't have a lot of training in graphic design you know, area that was there. And uh, so it was a little bit of a challenge. I was working as a bartender, as I said earlier, for my dad. Um, So I started school in the fall of 73. And by summer of 74, he had sold the business. And um, I was out of a job. So I had to drop out of school, uh, go to work. I wound up working in a warehouse in a medical supply company. and give you the the quick version of it. I worked my way up, worked my way into the office and then into a sales position with them. But I realized that was about as far as I was going to go uh, with the company. So uh, at the age of 24, which seemed so old to me back then, seemed so young to me now, I went back to school for, as I told you, as we were getting started, my associates, radio and TV production, Worked for a while uh, for a small UHF station, TV20, up and did camera for the 6 and 11 o'clock news up there and found that I was doing also news writing. Uh, it was back when the days of uh, the uh, machines that would come through and rather than rip and read, as we call it, we would have teletype. Teletype, there you go. We would get the stories and then type them, throw the local angle in or give the... No copy and pasting. No copy and pasting, yes. (laughs) So I would give, so I'd go on the typewriter, as it were, and uh, found that, you know, I always knew I had artistic uh, desires. I'd already a musician by then, but I realized that writing kind of came somewhat natural to me. So 
I was making more part-time as a server. I didn't tell you that part of it, but I went back. When I went back to school at 24, I became a server at a kind of a high-end restaurant. And I was, it was great big tech test, big uh, check totals, so it was good tips. And I was actually making more as a server on weekends than I would full-time at the TV station. So I opted to stay in school and ultimately get my bachelor's in public relations and journalism. And I wound up back in medical equipment after graduation, and then upon smashing our vehicle up, our minivan, when minivans were new, on an icy road out of Cooperstown, I decided Florida was going to be for us. We had, we had visited Benita in 78, before I went back to school even, and uh, fell in love with the area and said, if you could make a living, it'd be great to do that. Uh, so it took us several years. In 85, we moved down here. Um, Worked for an ad agency as a copywriter uh, with them. Did some selling for them as well. A client hired me away after about nine months. I worked for him for 15 years in his corporation uh, from um, director of marketing to GM and then finally vice president and then also helped him with a nonprofit he started down here called Quest for Kids, a mentoring scholarship program and um, was with the company 15 years, started, my wife and I started our own marketing firm in 2001 called MKA Marketing and did that and was doing that when I started teaching here at FGCU. So that's kind of the uh, the, the short version, believe it or not. That's the Mike like Kennedy story arc. <laughs> more, <laughs> probably more information than either you or your listeners need. Um, your, your wife and you have uh, musical taste that aligns. Are there any places where it doesn't? Ah, that's a good question there, too, as well. You guys are great with good questions. That's your business, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's m- our pretty much. <laughs> we try, we try. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much we're in agreement on uh, those things. Most of the great concerts I have been to uh, have been with her, my best concert memories. Uh, Not a Who fan. Never was a Who fan. And, um, uh, but other than that, yeah, everything else kind of falls into falls into place. All my, all my Who memorabilia and posters are all at my FGCU office. She had me get those out of the house when we uh, when I got the office over there in the mod. So did uh, she ever come with you to a concert? Oh yes, I said a lot of the concerts that I've been to were were ones with her. Um, you know, you two. Uh, she was a big Todd Rundgren fan back in the uh, back in the seventies and eighties nice. there. So we went to a lot of Todd shows, and in fact, saw him around two thousand seven, two thousand eight. We actually brought our daughters. I surprised her and them with with the two of them that live in Orlando. He was actually at the Hard Rock in Orlando, and so we got to see Todd. Up Such a there. good venue, too. That is, that is a neat one, too. It's very, it's not. Yeah, I've been large. there, too. I just It's remembered. intimate, but yet there's space. It's just a cool spot. Yeah, yeah. It's a very I cool thing. for her first concert. Oh, did you really? That's oh, cool. That is cool. What yeah. concert was it? Now I want to Baby know. Metal. Oh, Baby Metal, right. Yeah. Okay. She's, she's <laughs> six. Oh, how cool. How that's cool great. That. Yeah, that's, no, it's a great venue up there. And uh, they'll actually give you tours if you ask them at the gift shop at the Hard Rock, at the restaurant. If you go to the restaurant and you ask them, uh, they'll actually give you a little backstage tour and of some of the rooms that are up there. And they, they have a nifty gift shop, too. So yeah. Hard Rock, if you're listening, we, we would love to be sponsored by you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you in part by, by Hard, Hard Rock, Rock. Orlando. <laughs> um, so um, do you use music in class in any way? Do you integrate that into your teaching life? Um, I 
do to an extent, in fact, we talked about one class I was thinking of teaching. I was with uh, one of your former guests, uh, Dr. Maria Rocca, who I'm going to be having dinner dinner with tonight. Hopefully she'll be listening. I'll tell her about my experience. But uh, she was very encouraged. I thought about doing an actual class on PR and the music field. And, uh, you know, it started out with kind of a um, Beatles-related thing because, uh, oh, for explanation. First of all, at the university, I teach public relations and marketing courses for Lutgert, but mostly the the PR courses in that. And so um, I was uh, thinking about, you know, kind of putting together a special topics course on the way um, PR is used in the music industry and kind of taking it up. Uh, you know, first of all, it was kind of focused just on the Beatles. And I said, well, um, that may be a tough sell. Well, for I took a class at Florida Gulf Coast University called Meet the Beatles. Yes. So yes. I took that class. <laughs> I, Maria told me about that. And oh, boy, I would have been in my glory teaching that one. In fact, that's how I found out I was George. That's how you were George. That was the <laughs> I came out there. that class. Oh, OK. So very spiritual. Hey, Mike just skipped right past George. Did very you notice spirit- that? I did yeah, see that. Yeah. I noticed that. I made well, a mental note about that. I did. When I said all four, you know, that's what that's what. Made, that's funny you say that because that was what made me think of all four because I said there is a part of me that's a little bit spiritual and zen-like and having the deeper meaning there. And I can be very, you know, as I, I joked with my wife and I was coming, I not joked, I told her, I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk for a whole hour. And she said, you can talk for <laughs> But I view my, there was a part of me that was very introverted and the kind of the quiet uh, beetle, as George was called in that. And so that was, it's funny you say that because that's when I, when, when that question came about, the reason I kind of, I thought of the other three and I said, well, there is a little bit of George in me too. So that's interesting. Tara's yeah, everyone a, would say that George. I'm John, but in my heart of hearts, I feel a George. George. See, <laughs> in my short meeting with you, I would have put you more of a, of a John that, that's there, but mm-hmm. uh, that's it. So, um, uh, All right. Well, it's time for your second song. Second song. Okay. Well, second song kind of takes us. Oh, wait, by the way, oh, yeah. you gave me two second songs. What you sent me said this or this. Or this. So I have them both. You have them both. You get okay. to decide now. We are at a We're fork in the road. At a fork in the road. On the I've spot. never heard I, the first one. You never heard the first one. Okay, then we're going to go with that one. Okay. We're going to go with. Are that. you sure we have that one? You sure? You can override that if you want. I keep can, the story in mind. No, I'll keep. I think it's. I think it's a better story. I mean, okay. the other one. The other one falls into the category of a song I love, a song I've played in two bands. I played it with my. Well, then definitely go with yeah. the one I've never. So heard. I'll go with the one you've never heard. So. Uh, this one, as we already talked about, you know. My I hope pa- we have uh, right what I haven't heard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty I sure we do. <laughs> think you do. I'm but sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm. I'm, pr- I'm gonna guess. If it if it isn't, then we're gonna we're gonna fix that. I thought I had a challenge getting Eric into uh, the Beatles. I'm gonna definitely get you into that other act. But um, but uh, yeah, with my father's bar, this was kind of an interesting story about this one. Is again, it was a, a working class bar. Um, he opened, you know, eight o'clock, and it ran till two a.m. And um, but it was mostly, you know, the the guys, uh, blue collar workers and guys, and then they had regulars that would come in at night. In that, and uh, we lived right upstairs, and um, my room must was been pretty close to the where the jukebox was. And the jukebox wasn't played at night very often. The crowd It wasn't constantly running. Yeah, it wasn't constantly running. It was not there. So, and the songs on there were pretty much, as I said before, you know, old standards, uh, Sinatra, Dean Martin, 
Uh, everybody loves somebody sometime and uh, my way was probably on there back in the day and then we had a lot of ones that kind of just stayed on there that the guys didn't switch off it would be you know the current pop stuff sometimes that was on but nothing for, my, for a younger crowd it was all the older stuff and there were some Irish songs on there when Irish eyes are smiling Galway Bay Dennis Day stuff that was kind of on there as well but there was really only I said this in my in my notes to Richard. There was only one rock song, and I have to, I kind of thought about that a little bit. And actually, uh, the Edgar Winter Group's "Free Ride" showed up on there just before he sold the business, so that was on there. But uh, the one rock song that was there from 1967 and kind of stayed there for a while was by a group called Kenny Rogers in the first edition. And before Kenny Rogers was a made his bones in country he actually was was part of this band he was kind of in the folk scene early on and then was part of this band um the first edition and this song which i'm assuming is the one you haven't we've, heard we've done it yeah we're, we're okay. on the same page yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so that one you had me going until the very last minute <laughs> okay <laughs> so this one uh was whenever it was played i um I always had imagined, uh-oh, we got, because we had a few colleges in the in the community. We had uh, Mohawk Valley Community College. We had Utica College, some of the SUNY State University schools. And up in my bed, whenever I would hear this at night, I would think, uh-oh, we got a younger crowd in. Somebody's playing this one. And uh, before he was much like myself, both a guitarist and a bass player, Kenny was a bass player in this particular band. If you pull up the old videos of his, uh, you can see him playing bass on this song. Um, he, when he passed last year, um, Miles and I were doing, uh, because we couldn't play out anymore as the Immokalee Road Band, we were doing kind of an abbreviated IRB. We called it the Friday Live Happy Hour. And on our Facebook page, we would post. So Miles would do stuff on piano and sing and then i would bring the acoustic and do some songs on there so i covered this song uh from there uh it also was covered by my son brian who's actually also a bass player and a guitarist um he did this one uh for halloween he posted a video of him in full dude regalia uh because this song is actually featured in favorite film of mine i love the cone brothers and uh, especially the big lebowski and um, this song was featured in the bowling fantasy sequence that was kind of there in that. And um, it's called Just Dropped In to See What Condition My Condition Was In, and kind of a quintessential 60s psychedelic. And it's not Sunshine of Your Love by Cream. By Cream. Sunshine <laughs> of Your Love was a 45 I bought. Uh, you don't get to tell a story. I don't tell a story. No, you don't get to tell oh my gosh, story. So we'll leave that out. But it's a great, it's my, it was my, it's my go-to practice lick whenever I am warming up. It is just, it, it, it both. And I've never heard it. You've never heard Sunshine of Your Love? Oh, no, I've heard that one. I oh, that one? Okay, now you never I'm, heard this I'm one. Oh, okay. Well, okay. technically, <laughs> I guess, Mike, you have heard, because you're a big Lebowski fan. Oh, I, well, I, And so you've heard You've, you've totally heard, heard this song. Wow. Yeah. that's true. And speaking of Lebowski fans, do you guys see that drone video of the bowling alley that's going around? Yes. Yes. It's I did like, see that to the I saw it on yeah. Mike Canary's Facebook yeah. page. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, is, that's not Hollywood. That's just some that's, bowling alley yeah. for an ad. Yeah. So the future is here. Um, but let's go back to 1968. This is, as you said, just dropped in. 
Champion by Kenny Rogers and the first edition's yes, album, the first edition. Uh, let's listen to this and think, I guess, you and Lebowski. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quintessential 60s music. Is that him singing? That's him. That's Kenny. Wow. Yeah. yeah, if you had if you had told me I was going to pick a Kenny Rogers song for one of my three song stories, I would have never imagined. Well, if you had told me that that was a Kenny Rogers song, I wouldn't. You have, wouldn't have been. <laughs> no, you could have put that song in a two song lineup with any other song and said which one is Kenny Rogers, which one? and I would have picked the other one. <laughs> and maybe that was him on Ticket to Ride. I don't know. No, but that was. Isn't that wild? Yeah, that is that was, so wild. It is. A, it is a quintessential. As I said with the with the uh, little noise in the beginning, the, the guitar tone, and the guitar tone, in that the chorus yep. like all of it all of those elements were like time travel for genre like, yeah like it's you might as well be watching a movie in the 60s well the it 60s, almost seems yeah. like if you tried to craft using like artificial intelligence yeah. what the most quintessential 60s song would sound like that's what it would that's say. what it would <laughs> yeah. be it was and again just the lyrics themselves it said no on my way here i was telling talking to a friend of mine and telling him what i was going to be uh, talking about and he and I said, you know, it's supposed to be stuff not necessarily your favorite. And he goes, yeah, I know, just songs where the lyrics really meant something to you. And I said, well, not so much yeah. with the ones I picked. They're not really no, it's lyrical not, it's, balances. They can be about the lyrics, but yeah, it's very yeah. rarely, really. Yeah, that this one is more. This is it's more the the feelings uh, that that come out of this. And it really, I've got so many songs that the lyrics, you know, mean mean something to me. And uh, certainly in my life, would have been would have taken over. Ticket to Ride from a Beatles standpoint and that, but uh, but no, it wasn't. I, and I told him, I said, no, you know, I didn't really consider it. I considered it more stuff that really takes me back and takes a memory there. And, I I am sorry. I kept yeah. trying to hear the gambler in it, like, <laughs> <laughs> and I just I, well, you got What the key is, Richard, you yeah. got to we got to pull up the video. You got to watch him doing it. There's mm, plenty of there videos up there of him doing. We'll post it. that on the on the Instagram and uh, yeah. So that was, uh, yeah, so that is, and again, what's so so funny is my son's a huge, huge fan of the Big Lebowski, and we're both Coen Brothers fans and that, and they're, the music they use in their, in their films, just like Quentin Tarantino, I mean, there's mm-hmm. such, such great touches. What was, the, what was the musical one they did not too long ago, straight to Netflix? It was like a singing cowboy was the opening. Oh, yeah. Yes. I watched yes. that like four nights in a row. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The I guy. found it so yeah. The guy, from, I just didn't, I just loved it. <laughs> also, also to be fair, oh brother, we're out there, oh brother, yeah. also pretty musical. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, oh no, exactly. absolutely. There was just something about that Buster Scruggs, yeah. though, especially yeah. the 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 Stephen Root scene where yeah. he pan yeah. shot. So yeah. so oh, again, they're uh, yeah. It uh, it's they're always surprised, and that was a surprise. I hadn't heard just dropped in till. For years, till I saw the Big Lebowski. I mean, because it was so. Again, it was so. It was not something I ever decided. Hey, I'm going to. I'm building my CDs up for my albums. I think I'll pick up a first a Kenny Rogers in the first edition CD. It was never something like that. Is never a song I even thought about. Other than it's one that I heard in my bed at night, and, and it's, it's got that great and it's a great baseline. And it's just that I think. And when you're when you're upstairs, what you'll know when you when you you ever live upstairs from a jukebox you'll the bass comes through much stronger than anything else and so i knew the bass line of that song inside and out from there so and then it has again for my son to kind of surprise me at uh, halloween with uh, in 
full uh, with a, wearing a wig. His beard has gotten long, so he kind of looks like the dude a little bit. And he uh, he performed this on acoustic guitar too. So. What's the most elaborate Halloween costume you've ever had? Most elaborate. Uh, we had a big appliance box and a printer. Back when we had our marketing PR firm, we had a four-color big printer, so I could print big labels. Uh, so I printed. I was actually we were invited every year to a party, and it was a different letter of the alphabet every year um, in San Carlos. And we went to our first year. The letter was W. So. Um, I got this big square box and printed out a Jack Daniels label and had a little round flat hat. So you went, so went as a, a handle of Jack. I was a whiskey. You know, so whiskey was in my wife came as a bottle. My wife was slender, and so it worked well for her. She had a red dress, and I printed her out a nice Merlot label, and she had a little cork hat. And uh, that was probably the most elaborate because I was uh, – and I had a little – I had built in the in the box the uh, a little – cardboard compartment where I was pouring no. drinks from in there inside the, the big box but it was uh, were you using, I'll send you the picture. Were you using business supplies for personal use? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell the IRS yeah they could get us in and that but the other time for that for that party most of the time I was known for just doing rock stars because I would pick I did McCartney one year for the M year I did Alice Cooper uh, ah. Ozzy uh, actually our band was the year it was the O year I was actually Ozzy and on stage, as uh, our band, the Mighty Quint at the time, was actually playing. We were the house band for the party. And so I got to, uh, I got to be Ozzy, not just in a costume at a party, but actually. Were you like Ozzy doing the Beatles? I was or Ozzy like, doing that. Good question. Yeah, we did a couple. We did do uh, some Ozzy Ozzy doing the Beatles, that could be a thing. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of, it was an, it was an interesting thing. For Ozzy, never plays an instrument. I was playing bass and, and guitar so throughout the night. But uh but it was a yeah, that was a fun night. So uh, so yeah, there's been some some rock star uh, costumes that were there. Did Lennon one year too mm. for that. So. Um, what would you say is the most overplayed song of all time? Most overplayed, I would say "Sweet Home Alabama." I think that's a solid answer. <laughs> I think if we did like a you know Family Feud poll nationwide, yep. that would probably we heard be that up there. one. That was one. Uh, that's kind of the uh, the. Just, line I use for my students when I tell them how I got into NPR and listening to uh, WGCU in my car all the time. Little plug for this station. Go I was, team. I said, yeah. I said I was a K Rock guy for years till I heard. Wow, we won you over from K Rock. Still, I heard. Yeah, sweet. That's awesome. I said, Sweet Home. I heard Sweet Home Alabama for You're about. Like, There's this. no Joe and Stan on <laughs> Haney, sir. How dare you? It was Joe and Stan before Haney oh, came fair along. Enough, Haney was Joe a and Stan. Oh, wow. Joe and Stan. Yes, that wow. was the early. That is takes me back. Wow. I worked at a golf shop, and that's all they played. That's for, all they so played for like five there, years. Okay. I got a lot of. <laughs> I'm actually still trying to get those two. So you got, oh, I think they would be great. Yeah. So you got your fellow Sweet Home Alabama back before. They had a format change, I guess, too. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't listened to them in forever. I'm just stuck on you guys, man. That's awesome. <laughs> um, do you do karaoke? I did. First time ever karaoke was when I was in corporate, and uh, I was actually in Tokyo. And I did, I did karaoke actually in 
where the karaoke was founded before I ever did it in the States. Oh, wow. And uh, we... Uh, How novel was that? Yeah. I'm trying to imagine, because now it's like everybody knows what it is. Yeah, yeah. But you were like, what the... This was 90... <laughs> yeah, this was 1992. Um, and we were... The interesting thing about the Japanese culture, I teach international marketing. One of the things uh, that I talk about in there is the cultural differences. And one of the things with Japanese, and I've checked with um, Sajiko, my colleague, to see if this is still, you know, because this is so many years ago now, if it's still the same way. But in the Japanese culture, the business culture, um, everything is very, you know, straight on, on, you know, on the board, uh, up, you know, everybody's very strict. It's very, only the, the president does the talking in these meetings, all of these types of things. But at, once the meeting is over, um, yep. Everything kind of goes. It's and you, if you don't drink, you have to have a reason to give them to kind of say, uh, Richard, you can. Uh, yeah. Uh, you have to say, you know, it's a medical reason, doctor's orders, and that because the culture, at least back then, was you don't you're afraid of the real you coming out uh, in in vino veritas, as they say in. I have a friend Another that's like that, even though he's not Japanese. He's not Japanese because, then, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, it's yeah. It, but, if but, you, it's it's even worse because if you go with your boss, right? Like you, you work there. If you go with your boss and they're drinking, you have to. I mean, yeah. you re, like like it's it's very bad form for them to keep putting them down, and you're just abstaining. Yeah. Um, I wanted for, to know the karaoke you did then. Yes, was it the in a room? With people it, style, or it was, was it like on a stage? Well, I did did it twice, uh, Richard. Once was with in their, the company president's private club. Right. And he had us, so it was, a, and I say private club, it was about as big as our the two studio rooms mm-hmm. we're in here right now. Medium bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he had, it was very elaborate. He had, the, the guy I was with was much taller than me. And uh, I was I, I was tall over there, but uh, he was much taller. So they put us in samurai outfits with the bald wigs. <laughs> yeah. And uh, wouldn't need the wig these days. But they had uh, they had the bald wigs. He and uh, and they you know all that we had the kimonos. We had he had of course the big samurai sword. I had the little. The sword, first time so. you did karaoke, you were dressed as a I samurai. I was dressed in a samurai. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I did the song more. I don't know if you even know the song more, more than the greatest love the world has known. We're gonna, we're gonna learn it together. Here. <laughs> Hold on. Um, while while Mike's definitely looking that up. Oh, because um, <laughs> it's my it's my contention that part of the reason that karaoke became like a niche thing here yeah. instead of really really popular is because here I think because they all cheaped out. Um, all the bars and stuff only would buy one machine, yep. right? And they put it on the stage, and it's like Tuesdays karaoke yeah. night. But but I really really like um, uh, in Korea and in uh, Japan, like the way that it gets done is you go to a club with rooms, yeah, and you reserve a room with your friends the same way you would reserve like a bowling lane. Yeah, you go in there and you close it up. And then you only have to sing with each other, yes. and everyone's gonna have to sing, so you you're not scared because you're all gonna look dumb. <laughs> exactly, it's really yeah. Really fun. Yeah. The greatest love so yeah. the world has known. This is the love I give to you alone. This is the cheesiest video I've ever seen. More than the simple words I try. And you're dressed as a samurai. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it gets oh. it actually gets a little better because the guy I was singing with is he's he was tone deaf. He couldn't carry he couldn't carry a tune, didn't know the song and everything. So I had to kinda and that is literally the la- the first time I've sang more since <laughs> February nineteen ninety two in there. So we did we did that in the club and then we did we were out, we had a night out and I think this might have been Osaka because we had a week, we had a Saturday night where we weren't working and it wasn't the trade show was starting the next day. We were there for a trade show and to visit distributors. And so we found a little Japanese bar that uh, we went in and uh, there was a guy, big guy, and we, call, we kept calling him El, J- Japanese Elvis. He had the kind of the Elvis <laughs> shades yeah. and he was very burly, had kind of a song. And he sang this very patriotic Jap- obviously Japanese song with the, what you're seeing on the screen was all there and uh, they gave us the mic and this is we, we weren't sure what we were in for because this guy at least his crowd looked pretty rough and so they give us the mic so I'm thumbing through so I pick again McCartney song I pick Oh Darlin from Abbey mm-hmm. Road mm-hmm. you know oh, oh darling. I'm not going to sing that one because that's a belter so we sing, I sing that song, I put everything I get into it, and we finish, thing goes off, and he's sitting there and looking at us. And he goes, USA, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we went over, we had some drinks together, and so it was kind of fun. But that was, so we did a very formal one. Now, after we went off stage as the samurai, and Richard would appreciate this, our, the president, the company president, who was hardly cracked a smile the whole day was so straight laced he comes out with the hostess of the place and she's dressed like a doctor with a doctor wig and this hair coming out and a big oversized stethoscope and he's in drag as a nurse what kind of company (laughs) was this (laughs) oh the clubs there are it was a it's a it was a huge uh athletic product company yeah this guy was and again we go into the meeting the next day, like nothing mm-hmm. ever happened. Huh. And then that night, we're out again, and things get silly again. So it's... it's what uh, did they say? Ah, oh, boy, that one was not something I feel... If, yeah, I don't... It was, a, it was another Japanese-related okay. okay. song. It wasn't something that was a popular song. Wow, know, that is there, the so. best answer to do you do karaoke. Do karaoke We've yeah. done 150-plus <laughs> episodes. Um, okay, it's time I for, have done time, it domestically. Though. Time for done. your time for your third, third song. Third song, yeah. Okay. Uh, this one is another one that takes a, a memory, uh, really takes me back. I know we've been really kind of stuck in the 60s here, especially with Just Dropped In, but this one moves us all the way up to the 1980s. And uh, a song by the police. And uh, I was a huge, I've always, you know, been fans of bands, three-piece bands, I think, are just, just blow me away. You the like three Ben guys Folds 5? There. Ben Folds 5. Uh, we have uh, James Gang, uh, Grand Green Funk Railroad, uh, <laughs> all of these. And why I included the song that I was hoping you had heard of was Sunshine of Your Love from By the Cream, another three-piece band there. So when the police hit... In the 80s, um, they had just a real unique sound. They had blended, you know, reggae with a certain new wave, with a certain punk beat, and there were all sorts of things, great lyrics. Uh, The fact that Sting was a teacher before he was a international rock star was intriguing to me as well. The fact that they had two Brits and a... 
and a Yank in the band. Uh, Stuart Copeland, the drummer, was American, and uh, I was a huge fan uh, of the police. And uh, I distinctly remember um, my, my daughter, who was two at the time, we were hanging wallpaper in her room. And prior to doing that, I had had a call from a friend of mine's wife who said, you know, there's a song out by the police. You you got to hear it. It's like something I've never heard. It's, it sounds old, but it sounds new. And uh, she goes, it's just really good. And I said, well, that sounds kind of interesting. I hear it. So as, as, I'm, as it finally, the radio is playing this song, I, I realize this is exactly what she's talking about. Uh, because the chord progression is very much G minor C D, which is very much the chord progression of all those songs from the 1950s. I could play them on guitar for you, but I, but the songs of like uh, Last Kiss, you know, where oh where can my baby be, or Daddy's Home, and all these things. But what Sting did was add an E minor to the end of some of these, which gave it that mysterious kind of sound a little bit and which goes perfectly with the lyrics which are kind of creepy a little bit in these days and that's why I said with the lyrics itself don't judge any of my three songs on really the lyrics on this one because it it is but he threw that minor uh, chord in which changed it up and gave it more of a modern song to it when I do the song, I, I we don't do it in the band. Uh, when I do solo gigs or I do a I do a duo with a dear friend and another former FGCU uh, professor, Dr. Owen Feeney. And when we do, I do this song. I combine it with Benny King's song um, "Stand by Me" because the huh. chords are are the same uh, with that. Uh, I got the opportunity to see the the last concert I saw before we moved to. Florida was Sting and the Police uh, in 83, I think that was. And the other thing about why the song is important is because uh, my son was a huge fan of Sting. And uh, while I wanted him to be a guitar, I was still, while I always played bass, I still viewed myself as a guitar player. And I wanted him so badly to take up guitar. But he was, Sting was like kind of his hero. So he took bass lessons from the time he was eight years old. Uh, still plays bass and some guitar, but plays mostly bass in a in a metal band out in Denver right now. Brian is 47 now, but uh, he uh, so there was the, that memory that kind of came with that too. Um, uh, so for it, uh, and then the video from this was so striking. Uh, NBC had started uh, in eighty uh, in the eighties uh, Friday night videos. They kind of were playing on the MTV thing, and they. Following The Tonight Show, I think, they would do these uh, Friday night videos. And one of the first ones I remember them running was this classic black and white uh, production of this particular song. As you can tell, I'm a huge film fan, obviously, and uh, and went there. So so this song was uh, was very meaningful uh, for several different reasons, and it's called Every Breath You Take. And, you know, um, the, the Police was the first band that I glommed onto when I was about 12 or 13. Ah. And that's right when this came out. Right. So okay. I, I have memories like that, but from the perspective of a 7th oh, grader, grader or 8th grader, grader or whatever. But I love The Police. But Let's listen to this. This was uh, off okay. their uh, album Synchronicity, 1983. It took me back to the same year you said, to 83, and uh, thinking about, uh, again, those, the, I thought of the other 
songs that were big back then that were on that, uh, as I used to go, I think I was, might have been still, was I still a Simpson in 83? No, just getting out of that maybe. But I would meet a buddy, he'd come over and we'd watch the videos and uh, I thought of uh, Stevie Nicks. Uh, what is that song? Just like the white wind doves and like singing. Oops, oops. Is that what she says of, in that song? Edge of Seventeen. Yeah, Edge I, of Seventeen. I never knew that. Was big there. <laughs> Bonnie Tyler, Total Clips of the Heart. Yeah, uh-huh. was big back then. Beat it. You would reckon, beat it. It was the one next one I was going to say. Yes, the beat it. You beat him to the, it. Beat it. And uh, there was an Elton John song too Ooh. that was big with that. No, that I'm still saying or something else that was there. But that. But I remember thinking of. So I was uh, thinking oh, back to Every Breath You Take was number one on the Billboard. Was it really number yeah. one? Was it was it? everywhere. I mean, okay. as far as my 13 year old self could tell. But it seemed everywhere. Yeah. In that just, video, I can totally remember You can video. remember the video. Oh, it was absolutely. black and white, the piano, the camera angle for the piano they had. And uh, it was just, and, uh, you know. And Again, other, you've brought a song with art, music, video. Yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of, as I said, the, the love of film kind of comes into, into play really with, with all three, too, with the uh, Ticket to Ride on the Ski Slopes and Big Lebowski with... Uh, with the yeah. one I turned you guys on to. You guys are now Kenny Rogers and the first edition fans. I, think, I am. You know, so. <laughs> okay, so uh, before we move yes. too far away from this song, yeah. uh, so you mentioned the composition of it and how it kind of like fools the ear into, like it's it sounds like a like an 80s pop romance song. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a sucker for compositional shifting. And so I like when they do the minor, major, ah, like okay. you flip a song. Yes. So there's this guy uh, on YouTube, and he he recomposed it into a minor key, and I thought you might get a kick out of this. Oh, interesting! Yeah. Yes. So uh, this is um Chase. Uh, so I can't read it from here. Chase Hallfelder is that Hallful? Hallfelder. H O L F E L D E R. Chase Hallfelder. Uh, Richard, when you add yeah. it later, I'm gonna start right after I say three. One, two, three. Except I have the tab muted. Oh wait, yeah. So pause <laughs> it. <laughs> Wait, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought we were just actually in, like you were leaving space to insert it for some reason. Here we go. Here we go. Every bond you break, every step. I think it makes it creepier. Well, no, it should. Yeah, good. Yeah. So, well, and, and the tempo is yeah. also almost half. But for me, this really sells like, you know, people talk about how how clever the police version is because the lyrics are stalkery, yes. but the but the composition is upbeat almost without that E minor. Even with the E minor, it's kind of, you know, it's just romantic. But this is not. And this so is I, not, I, yeah. I like how, how big of a difference that oh. makes. The guy's face doesn't help with the creepiness level. Yeah, and it's all blurry. <laughs> in the, yeah, so go ch- if you guys want to hear the rest of that, go check it out. It's uh, it's a pretty good video. Oh, very yeah. cool. Miles I was like in the middle of a horror movie there. <laughs> yeah. Well, my colleague Miles Mancini will love that. Miles is again. Uh, I've mentioned um, Doctor Otto and and uh, Miles. Uh, Miles has been on in our Target. For yeah. the first he, he's year, he's going to be. Oh, he is going to be fantastic. Uh, you get him in there. He has got such. His background is incredible. His musical background and he's such a 
I am so blessed to play with all three of those guys. And our, we have a, a female vocalist also, Erica Campione, a little bit younger than the rest of us, um, but she's from Port Charlotte, and she does a fantastic job. But but Miles, as a keyboard player, vocalist, um, and just he has a real knack. He will love that version, Richard, because oh, he, yeah. one of the things we do is he, he'll take these pop songs and present them to me and Eric usually before we bring Erica or Jim in on them. And we kind of scratch our heads and look like he said, you know, I think we should do Britney Spears' Hit Me Baby one more time. And I'm saying, okay, this is before we had Erica even in the band. And I said, well, okay, we're, we're three guys. Uh, you know, we want to play a Britney Spears song. And the arrangement works. And now we have Erica singing it now. But we do things like uh, Straight Up by Paul Abdul. We do yeah, a lot of female fun. vocalists. Yeah, songs. And Miles has a, just a knack for picking these songs and then doing a little twist on them. And uh, so he's going to, he will love I'm that. a big sucker for it. We're going to have fun talking about it. Yeah. He was a professor of mine back in the day. You did have oh, yeah. Miles, did you? I oh, went wow. to FGCU wow. with him back with in the him. early days. Uh, and I think we like met in Maria Rocca's class. He did. Yeah. Okay. That's too good. Maria, yes. I, fixed, uh, I fixed equipment for him while I was working IT on campus. And you're doing from there. <laughs> we all just come full circle. It's, it's a all going to be, well, he should Mancini be, yeah. Node. So he's done, I know sometimes you'll ask who we should bring bringing on. And I would definitely say him and Dr. Otto. He's got a huge... Uh, uh, musical knowledge careful well. with your sunglasses oh sorry on the wire. That, i'm sorry yeah. sorry um okay. oh i thought tara took a breath um if you were a, <laughs> a, a if you were a cocktail or a drink of some kind what would it be i'm not allowed to breathe jack on the rocks jack on the rocks okay so. that, that, that means something a little bit more elaborate i'm gonna change that? i'm gonna change the way we ask it. the question yeah if oh. if a bartender was gonna name a drink after you there what drink would they make what would they make uh that's a good yeah. point richard that's a good Thanks, Mike. Alteration. Oh, hmm. I've been I've become a real fan of root beer as of late, but root beer does not taste good. Trust me, with mixed with any kind of alcoholic <laughs> beverage. That you know, I can but that doesn't have to be alcoholic. Former guest Mark oh. Davis has a drink named after him called the Mark Davis, and it's a it's a root beer and vodka. I think he said. Oh, that's... that doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that's I just wanted to point like... that out. Tara's face is amazing. He really drank. Yeah, but that also is... Kinfei, he chose water. That's water. <laughs> That is so funny because we have a, my daughter when when she graduated high school we went on a cruise and we didn't have we brought some alcohol with us and all we had was root beer and vodka and she went to a party with and a guy named Mark Davis no no <laughs> it was a guy named Stephen Bentley who drank that so we would call them a vodka and root beer a Stephen Bentley and wow. that came up last weekend That's that crazy. was mentioned that was mentioned last week they were all both down for my the birthday Matrix. We have a way of doing that. The Matrix is breaking down, The Matrix is breaking, I tell you, it is, it is. They were here, my daughter, my both daughters, both son-in-laws and my new grandbaby were both all down this weekend. And I was drinking root beer and they said, you ought to make yourself a Stephen Bentley. I think that has to be the answer. Or Mark Davis, I guess we'll call it. It's Stephen Bentley. Okay, the Stephen Bentley. Stephen Bentley has a little bit of a, yeah. Stephen Davis. Stephen Davis. But coming back to my drink, wow. We got two drinks. Uh, Seems for the course of this episode. Yeah, let's try. Uh, let's try a rum and root beer, kind of bringing us. Uh, what's it called? Oh, what's it called? Oh, it's called. Well, no, it's we called need both parts. Oh, okay. Uh, We're making wow. a cocktail cookbook. Ah, okay. We're geez. always doing something. Should have been ha- ready for this one. Uh, gonna... We should start making it. We've talked about. I've, it. I've got them. I've got them set aside. Yeah. yeah. You're the graphic yeah. artist. Yeah. You got to draw. <laughs> uh, Rudy Rum, I guess. The Rudy Rum. The Rudy Rum. All right. R-O-O-T-Y. The Rudy Rum. I like it. 
Um, if you were a championship wrestler, what song would you enter the arena playing? First thing that popped into my head, but it's going to be, it's too trite. It's oh. be everybody was that might have to be the answer. It might be the one. Oh, no, I don't know. We are the champions, but I'm going to everybody say that one. No, no, no I don't think anyone's going Nobody said that one? No. Oh, okay. We are the champions. There you go. Do you have a TV theme song that you would like to sing with us that you would know all the words to if we played it on YouTube? Uh... I actually won a rocks on a, on a bus ride to a U2 concert in 92. I actually won a koozie that I still use with a friend of mine who's no longer with us, Irish guy. And uh, I won it by knowing all the words to the Beverly Hillbillies theme song. Oh, there Let's we go. Let's so, go. Shall we go? Yeah. All right. Mike's going to pull it up. Oh, we're singing along. You don't have it. to do it acapella. I thought I had to do acapella. It, okay, okay. That's come from my. You don't have my to flex on us that hard. But some people do, and that's okay. Yeah, we have had people do it. Come <laughs> and listen to a story about a man named Jed, a beer mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. Then one day he was shooting at some food, and out through the crowd come a doubling crude oil that is black gold, Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, Jed's a millionaire. The kin folks said, Jed, move away from there. Said California is a place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly Hills. That is swimming pools and movie stars. Beverly Hillbilly. Why do we do that? It's so abrasive. Oh, my head's getting dizzy. I haven't thought of that in a long time, and I I knew every word. You knew it all. Knew it all. I just don't know why the banjo was something Ow. we had to vocalize, but it felt <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I have I've had a thing with both band, both the IRB and before that, Mighty Quint, that I always wanted to do a bunch of little clips from TV theme songs and do like Friends comes to mind certainly, mm. and uh, maybe you know Cheers and you know, older stuff and kind of put them all together into a little uh, medley. And then I've talked to Miles about it, but we never got it off the it's ground. good idea. But it is, it'd be mash. fun, yeah. It'd be fun to mash, yeah. yeah. Mash was the only, has the distinction of the theme from mash as the song, the only song I ever learned to play. My wife bought me an, uh, an African instrument called a kayimba. Are you familiar with a kayimba? I just came across that the other yeah, day. Yeah, it's a little wooden box. Matrix. Another, yeah. A little Matrix, uh-oh. Somebody and was playing Here Comes the Sun while a little puppy walked over to him in the middle of a sunflower field with light <laughs> coming down. It's a true story. Look it up. <laughs> I got to look that up. Well, the kayimba is a little, it's these little metal bands you play with your thumbnail. And the only song, I, I had the thing for years. We just sold it at a yard sale. And... The only song I ever learned was the theme from MASH, Suicide is Painless. I can hear that, yeah. so that was, again, full circle. If you can broadcast a song... Wait, Mike, wait, sorry. Is this, yep. is this what you're talking about? Can you turn your head and Mike can look? Is this what you're talking about? That's the instrument, or okay. something like it. No, that's... that's it's well, well, this is what I Googled. Kayimba? Yeah. Is it, is, it, is, it like a, is it like a wooden square, yeah, wooden, yeah, square. With, yeah. with like lots of metal strips? It's got a hole yeah, and some metal, metal bands on it. Yeah, it, it's also called, however you would pronounce, M-B-I-R-A. Mbira. Oh, maybe? Yeah, I don't I know. But, so it's got two names. It's cool. Um, <laughs> if you could broadcast a song into the head 
of every human at the same moment, what would you choose? James Taylor, shower the people you love with love, I think. That's a good answer. That good? Um, if you could choose to learn a new instrument instantly without having to try, which would you choose? Saxophone. Yeah? I would love to play, be able to play the sax. I play. My wife will say piano probably. I, I call myself a piano player. We have, we've had a piano in the house since the 80s, but I'm a, really a chord banger. I'm about equivalent on piano after all those years like I was those first six months when I was in the first band I was in. I'm just, I just bang chords and I do things. But, uh, so I would, love to be, I would love to be able to play piano, but a sax I think is just really cool. I'd like that. Um, are there any kinds of songs that you'll avoid listening to or maybe even a song that you'll avoid listening to because it's a negative memory association? Not to make you think about those uh, things. Yeah, no, that's uh, so um, song or genre. Are we looking at genre? Or um, song? Well, for, from the first part, first probably part? genre. If genre. there's a second part, song. Okay. Uh, genre would be definitely probably soft jazz. Not a fan of soft jazz. I love jazz. I mean, old traditional jazz and, the, and that kind of thing. But the kind of soft pop jazz, uh, not a fan of that. Every other type of music, though, I really love. I've been getting much more into country over the past couple years and uh, was never a huge country fan. Um, song that I would turn off that I would not want to hear. Um, huh. Even even the songs that I were overplay when I mentioned uh, you know, Sweet Home Alabama. I still don't think as many times as I heard it on K Rock, along with Smoke on or not Smoke on the Water, but uh, probably heard that, oh, lot, that one a lot. Yeah, yeah K Rock. Uh, what's the other one? Steppenwolf, Born to Be Wild. Oh, that was wild, that was man. the one that really they played all the time. And that maybe Born to Be, even though it's a great. I love Steppenwolf, though it's a great song. I haven't heard it in a long time since I stopped listening to K Rock. When you go out to your car when you leave, you should turn on K Rock and just to see if either <laughs> of those songs are on. <laughs> you never know. Um, Okay, um, album, if you had to choose one that you could only ever listen to that one, what would it be? Blood on the Tracks. Oh, yeah. By Dylan. That would make my top ten. Or By Numbers by The Who. Not huh. kind of not one of their more popular albums, not as big as Who's Next or Tommy or Quadrophenia, but there are some beautiful songs on By Numbers. So it would be a tie between The Who by Numbers and... Uh, and blood on the tracks. What would your 14-year-old self think of where you are here today as a person? Um, I think they'd be pretty happy with that. They'd, I think we'd get along. I think I love those. Have you seen those things online where they show the young Hollywood star and the old yeah, side by side with all day. those things? I've, I've looked at that and thought of that sometimes. I, I think they'd be pretty happy. I had to uh, it took me a long time to become a teacher. I always wanted to teach ever since high school. I was I had some very influential high school teachers, and even though I kind of downplayed that uh, Catholic uh, all boy school thing when I talked about earlier, there I did. I had some great instructors there, and I always wanted to teach, and it never never really happened. Uh, I got into other fields, and um, the opportunity to teach came about eleven years ago started doing that. So I think that 14-year-old would recognize that that was something... College professor with a rock band. With a rock band, yeah. That's not, that's not so bad. <laughs> that's <a> bad. <laughs> um, okay, Richard, ask him the hard question. Sure. Uh, so for for the three songs that you brought us today, yep. um, you have to choose uh, each of these things for one of them. 
they are mutually exclusive. First, one of the songs is one that you guarantee for future generations. It will never kind of fall into obscurity. Two, one of the songs uh, is going to be the only song you get to listen to for the rest of your life. <laughs> if you turn on music, that's what you hear. Number three, you will choose to erase this song from having existed and any other kind of ramifications that might have on people in general and yourself. Oh, Go. That's a tough one. That's wow, why we call it okay. the hard question. Yeah. That is Both the because hard it's one. hard okay. and it's hard to ask. It's hard to ask <laughs> and it's hard to say. Well, I've got to say, I'd have to, if I had to listen to anything, I, I still, when I heard it today, it took me right back to 1965. I'd have to stay with Ticket to Ride. So that wouldn't be the one, the middle one, I guess. The one, what was the, f that's the last one was one I have to erase, erase. from yeah. all time. First is ensure in perpetuity yeah. for future generations. I, w I do a flip-flop on this because I, I, I had them reversed when I first heard the question. But I would probably, just because, as Richard even said, you're almost in time capsule when you're listening to Just Dropped In. Mm. Um, and as much as I would hate to take every breath you take, I love everything about it. They had a bunch of great songs. They had a bunch of good songs, yeah. <laughs> we had to lose one. We, as long as we, we don't lose Message in a Bottle still, or Roxanne. I think they may not did. have gotten as big as they did if they didn't have... Uh, uh, I mean, it was a big uh, song. That, you know, or that one, because that song was really big. Synchronicity to really took them to yeah. the level. Yeah, uh, and 83's charts probably wouldn't have changed too much, because number two was Billie Jean, so it, was Billie know, Jean it would from have just there, been yeah. number one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, big surprise. Okay, it's time to recommend three people. Okay, well, I gave you one. I told yeah. you uh, Miles. Miles Mancini, Dr. Eric Otto would be number two. And now I don't know if you've had uh, Tom DeMarkey. Have you had Tom? Yeah, he was yeah. season one. Season one, did yeah, you? Okay, he's old-timer he out here. He was, oh, I, didn't, I missed his uh, <laughs> episode there, and I know you've done Clay. I, was, yep. uh, yes. I didn't know if I was going to be on before. He must have been. I haven't heard his yet. His, so I've got his to great, to and, it, and yeah. it kicks off an adventure. He yes. is, so he's doing, he's teaching the class I want to teach. I, told, <laughs> I actually told him that. I said, you know, if you ever, uh, you know, ever get sick of this, you want somebody or you need somebody to fill you in, I mean, that Take would be my Take a sabbatical, job. Clay. Yeah. <laughs> that course, I had a student, well, Fabiana. Took, oh, uh, you okay. had Fabiana yes. in, in class here. Fabiana took that course, and she would come in and tell me, telling me the stuff, and I'm saying, oh, my God, that's exact. I know this stuff inside and out. This would be the dream course for me to do the history of, of uh, you know, rock like that. So, so Clay's out. Tom's out. Um, I guess it doesn't have to be. It could be anyone. Anybody, yeah. yeah it has to be somebody with the university. It has to be someone that you can commit to putting the show in the hands of. Okay. And then you can connect us if, you okay. know, that you think they'd be good on the show. I would say uh, my other musical collaborator, Dr. Owen Feeney. Owen is another uh, old soul. Owen uh, is uh, just turned, he'll be 50. He's 50, so he's... I got 16 years on him, too. Uh, I have more than that on Miles. But Owen uh, is another, you know, old soul, grew up with music a lot. He'd be fantastic. Okay. Well, when this comes out, share it with them. Tag them on your Instagram or whatever it is the yeah. kids do these days. <laughs> uh, and any final thoughts? Do it for the gram. Uh, no, just happy to do this. As I said, I've just been, uh, you know, I have... Uh, I love being here at the university. I just been, I feel at this stage of my life, I'm... Uh, you know, I'm just feeling really good. I, I, 
this has been tough these these months on everybody. Um, I've had blessings beyond belief. I've had a new grandbaby as of uh, April 2nd of last year. She's soon to be one year old. Um, again, I got to spend my, my 66th birthday with two of my three kids and their spouses. And then we FaceTimed with Denver for the other one. And uh, my wife and I will be celebrating our 47th year married in, in November. So, um, yeah, I'm, I am loving life. I am happy, happy with what I do, where I'm doing it, who I'm doing it with. In, in every aspect. Well, so, cheers to that. Thank you. And thank, thank you, you for, for doing this. Thank, thank you. you for having me on this. I'm just, I'm honored to be here. This was a lot of fun. So. Awesome. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chin Kui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and host. Chris Duffis is our executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're handing it off to Mike and his song, Tina's Birthday. I got thinking about how those years go quickly passing by I watched Gilligan's Island when I was just a kid Tried to get themselves back home but I guess they never did Who would want to leave a place so peaceful and serene you could spend every single day with a Hollywood beauty queen. So take a look around you, ain't you glad you're alive? I'm a bit past 60 and Ginger's 85. Used to watch her in black and white, getting sand in those high heels. Strutting around in an evening gown while Mary Ann fixed meals. Doing an on and a hanging on to the professor's every word. While Gilligan got hypnotized, thinking he's some kind of bird. Have another beer now and be glad you survived. I'm a bit past 60. And Ginger's 85 Thank you, lovey. Thank you, Skipper, too. For all of those fond memories of me there watching you. I know that I've asked more than one pretty girl while holding hands. Are you sweet thing, a ginger, or are you a Mary Ann? So take a look around you and be glad. You're alive I'm a bit past 60 And Ginger's 85
take another beer now and be happy you survive and wish Tina happy birthday now that Ginger's 70, 85. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. A mango margarita. Salt on the rim, sugar. I can't have salt, but that's what it would be. <laughs> <laughs>